Welcome to Wannabe Clutter Free, formerly Wannabe Minimalist, the podcast for busy families who are tired of the chaos, fed up with being overwhelmed, and ready to enjoy life again. Each week, we talk about how to let go of the clutter so that you can focus on the things that actually matter. And it's not just physical clutter. We talk about the mental and emotional stuff too, because if it's holding you back, it's time to ditch it. I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. You know how life doesn't stick to a schedule? Well, why should your paycheck? That's where Earn In comes in. It's an app that lets you access the money you've earned right when you need it, not just on payday. Imagine this, your dog suddenly needs a vet or your kid has a little accident and needs a dentist, ASAP. We've been there and waiting for your payday in those situations just doesn't make sense and it adds unnecessary stress. With EarnIn, you can pull up to $100 per day or up to $750 each pay period directly from your earnings without the crazy fees or interest rates. It's super simple. Download the EarnIn app, verify your paycheck, and get access to your earnings as you earn them. You decide what to tip, and whatever you use gets settled on your next payday. More than 3.5 million users are finding relief and a sense of security with EarnIn, calling it a lifeline for financial stability. That peace of mind, it's priceless, and it could be yours. Ready to give it a try? Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Clutter under Podcast when you sign up. It'll really help out the show. That's Clutter under Podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. You're listening to Wannabe Minimalist with Deanna Yates, episode number 149. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Adina Hall, an interior designer and architect. She's giving us a peek into a designer's process and tips and tricks of the trade so we can beautify our homes in a clutter-free way. Hey there, my wannabe minimalist friend. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I am so happy you're here. If this is your first time, well, welcome to the show. I hope you enjoy what you hear and you come back for more. If you're returning, well, thank you. I am honored to have you. Today, we are peeking behind the curtain into how interior designers create such beautiful spaces. I don't know about you, but I am always in awe of how they do it. I mean, how do they mix and match styles, colors, and patterns, and you know, all these things that seemingly would never fit together and they make it come together so effortlessly. Of course, some go overboard. And so that is why I have invited my friend Adina on the show today. We worked together in Chicago and I've been following her journey as she has got on, gone out on her own and started her own design firm. She designs beautiful spaces that do not feel cluttered or overwhelming. Today, I ask her about her process, how we can find quality pieces that don't break the bank, and she even lets us in on some design faux pas to avoid. But before we get into our conversation, I want to ask you a quick favor. If you enjoy what you hear, can you please take a second and leave me a rating or a review? You can rate the show and um, in Apple Podcasts, you can actually leave a review as well. Your reviews are what help me reach more listeners and get more amazing guests on this show for you. So thank you so much for doing so. And now let's learn a little bit more about my guest. Adina Hall is a licensed architect in the state of Illinois and an interior designer with 18 years of experience. 
Adina's experience in project design, construction, and management ensures the integration of design concepts, functionality, and technical systems in one harmonious final design. With a contagious passion for design, she enjoys designing and delivering spaces that are uplifting and emotive while creating one-of-a-kind environments for work, play, or leisure. Give this episode a listen, and when you're done, head over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 149 to get the show notes for today's episode with links to Adina's website, her socials, and pictures of her gorgeous work. Again, you can find it all at wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 149. And now let's get to our conversation. Well, hi, Adina. Welcome to Wannabe Minimalist. How are you doing today? Hi, thank you so much. I'm very good. Very excited to be chatting with you. I've been listening to your episodes and they're so valuable and so good. I've just turned my drive to daycare and back into my personal self-improvement sessions. Oh, so. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. I am so excited to have you here. Adina and I, for my listeners out there, actually used to work together in Chicago. So the company that we worked for, I worked on the property management arm and she was in the architecture arm of the development company. And so I have gotten to work with her and see her beautiful designs in person. And I am so excited that she is on this show because it's a different perspective than I think we have looked at before. We haven't really looked at the architecture perspective of it and coming from that angle. And I know we're going to talk about kind of interior design a little bit more because I'm not necessarily having an architecture show here, but I just love that perspective and the idea of how you come from a function. And I just, I'm so excited about this conversation. So thank you so much for agreeing to be here. I know this isn't uh, something you have normally done before. So I'm just really thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be chatting. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what led you into architecture, interior design and uh, what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. For me, I think it's a little bit unusual. It started very early. I knew from sixth grade the path that I'm going to take. And my parents and I went to visit some modeled homes. They were on the market for a new home. So it was one particular model home that we visited that I just fell in love with. So I asked my parents, you know, who lives here? They live so beautifully. So they told me that this was actually staged and an interior designer created a space and no one actually lives here. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. I want to be an interior decorator. So I think when my parents heard that word, the bells went off and we went home. We had a whole discussion about the things that I could do from being a painter to a salesperson, to a decorator, to an interior designer, to an architect. And they were very smart in steering me towards a career path in architecture with the idea that I'd be more versatile during economic downturns and just have a broader skill set to fall back on. And also would just give me options later in life, whether I chose to be a graphic designer or interior designer or architect or do virtual environments. So I liked the idea. I thought it sounded very sound. And my grandfather was also an architect. I was always keen on hand drawing and I was always arranging my room and things like that. I just think that all the <laughs> designers do. So it just felt very natural. Like I was very confident in my decisions. So I started taking hand drawing lessons, I think right away after I made that decision. And then I applied for school. I was still living in Romania and I got a scholarship at Lawrence Tech. And I started studying architecture and I completely fell in love with it. it I forgot about interior design really. <laughs> I was just 
very immersed in it. I was very good at it. My projects were always selected to be displayed at the end of the semester. I was doing all-nighters all the time. I was never the person that finished first. I was pretty much always the person that finished maybe last. I think I was working through presentations to finish up my, my projects, but I was just so passionate and always wanted to put in more and more and more and just make it the best it could possibly be. And um, so I was really happy with my career choice. And then I got my master's at IIT and I started working for a firm called Optima, which is a development company led by David Holvey, who was one of my idols. Uh, it was a big step for me. I was very excited to work there and I worked on some really complicated projects. And then from there, I came to Lombard where I got to work with you and I was hired as a project architect for the village market complex downtown thousand square foot development. And then when the envelope was done and permitted, I got laid off because the project was done and that was the big project that I was hired for. So I went on to other things, but it just felt like my baby was taken from me. I was just in shock that I won't be able to control what goes in the building. What about the design of every one of the spaces and the lighting and the furnishings? And it became clear to me that there's a very clear separation between architecture and interior design. And there's another team that does the interior design. And I was just very taken aback by that. And I think in my future jobs positions, I always had this feeling that I'm just missing out on being able to really control the experience within the space, which matters so much because you can design the most beautiful building, but if the lighting is wrong, then people won't feel comfortable inside. If the materials are not resilient or beautiful or they don't tell a story, then it doesn't leave an impact. People won't necessarily want to come back. So I just became keener and keener to shift towards interior design. Several years later, I heard about a friend of a friend that was on her own as an interior designer doing very well. Uh, had started her business several years back and was doing really well. And I thought, well, if she can do it, I can do it. <laughs> so that night I created my website. I lifted myself on Yelp and Google and that's it. <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> it was like very quick decisions and I move forward. I so love that. I love how it was like, <laughs> if she can do it, I can do it. And heck, I'm going to go do it like right now. <laughs> like yeah. I love that there wasn't a ton of hemming and hawing. There wasn't a lot of, I got to have all this in place. I love that you just went with it and uh, yeah. trusted your gut on it because you do design some beautiful spaces. I have seen some of your gorgeous work on Facebook and Instagram, and I've just been, it's been so much fun kind of following some of your design journey. And so what is the design process like for you? I know it's going to be a bit different than somebody who's coming at this from their own house, which is what a lot of my readers or listeners are looking for. But I think it'd be really interesting to hear what an expert does like how do you start your process yeah so i think for me it's definitely two parts the process has to be solid and for the design to be solid so i do have a kind of a process on how to run a project and then a process on how to design a project so i'd say the, the process is important because it allows me to be efficient and create more time for design so initially for example when i started my my business i would meet with everyone that would reach out. We would have a walkthrough. I would be giving advice there on the spot on what to do. And then I would put together a full proposal. 
And then people would either move forward or not move forward. A lot of them do not move forward. A few of them do move forward. Uh, and I was wasting a lot of time in the sense. So I had to create a more streamlined intake process. So now everyone fills out an inquiry form on my website, which gives me kind of the nuts and bolts of what the project is. And then we have a Zoom call where they might walk me through the space and show me the pain points. Or we, if there's no space in a new build, we just discuss what the space will be. We look at floor plans. Uh, and then I put together kind of a fee plan. We meet again. And if everything, the scope that I define, the fee plan sounds good, then I put together a proposal. And after that sign, we then meet in person. We walk the space in person. We might discover some other areas that we need to include. And then we move forward in that. So the first step is this uh, in-person meeting as well as me measuring the space and taking a look at the space. And then we have a visioning and discovery session, which is really key to the process. So this is where I really get to to know the person, their what they're passionate about, uh, their lifestyle, their values. And then we go through a very in-depth sort of aesthetic dive which people love. It's about color trends and uh, uh, stylistic elements. And um, we talk about everything design and how spaces feel. And do we like this casual or do we like this more of a luxurious feel? Or how do we want people to feel in our space? How do we want ourselves to feel? And so from there, I'm able to develop a very focused look and feel document and that becomes the foundation for that we build on for the project so i check throughout the design process of the project i kind of check back all that am i doing what we said we would be doing is this aligned with our original look and feel so that's the process the overall process for the how to organize the project how i run a project on the design side i always want to make sure that we look at the box first so is the architecture of the space aligned with what you know our intentions and are the big elements good are the floors good is the lighting good are the walls good i mean you can put beautiful furniture in a space but if these large impactful elements are not good then everything will just still feel <laughs> drab so if i see that there are things that need to be addressed like cabinetry or lighting or floors I always suggest that we address those first. And if the budget doesn't allow to do both, then maybe we do that as a phase one. And then phase two is furnishings. If everything looks good and we're just we're just doing furnishings, then I go into the design process, which is obviously the most exciting and the shortest <laughs> phase, smallest amount of time of what I do. Uh, but that's when I get to go out and meet with reps and look at the kind of the latest products out there and get to sit in furniture and feel uh, tile and wall covering and all the beautiful things. And I come back with a design proposal. And once things are approved, then we move into procurement. And that's an area too that I was a big bottleneck in my business. since It's very tedious, creating the invoices and placing the orders and tracking the items. And I finally just signed up for software that helps me do this so beautifully and so efficiently. <laughs> and I just can't believe it took me this long to to get on with this program. But uh, yeah, that was a big step in my business to just set the processes in place to help me do the best uh, job possible. So 
Nice. I like what you said there about that you actually go out and you sit in the things and you feel the things and how do, so I know so many people are looking at, we just buy so much on Amazon, right? Because it's easy for people at home. Do you have some favorite places to shop for furniture and things for the home that maybe we aren't looking at that are still accessible to the general public like us. Cause I know you as an interior designer and architect are going to have special wholesale places. You can go that the rest yeah. of us can't go to, or are there any of those places that we think are wholesale that we actually can go to? I don't know if you know any of those places, but where would you like, where would you suggest people go shop for different things? And then I want to come back to kind of finding, figuring out styles, but I think let's start here with the shops. Do you wish you could find an educational podcast that your kids actually want to listen to and you enjoy too? Well, you're in luck. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math, is a weekly show full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. We listened to a few episodes and not only did our daughter want to listen to more next time we're in the car, I found myself chuckling too. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. You're transported to moments in ancient history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. Plus, they do a great job of teaching math theory without it being boring, complicated, or overly childish. And that can't be easy, but it's not really a surprise considering Mysteries About True Histories is from the creators of the hit podcast Who Smarted, Brain Games on Nat Geo and Disney+, and Brainchild on Netflix. Episodes drop every Thursday, and since they are about 15 minutes, they are the perfect length for kids ages 6 and up. Turn your next car ride, break time, or bedtime into math time with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. This podcast is supported by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. We've been using Active Skin Repair for a few months now, and I am seriously impressed. They use a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which is pretty much a superhero in skincare. It mimics your body's own immune response, helping to cleanse, soothe, and reduce inflammation to support the natural healing process. And let me tell you, it works for more than just scraped knees. Whether it's sunburns, rashes, or even more persistent issues like eczema or acne, Active Skin Repair has got you covered. The best part? It's totally safe and non-toxic. That means it's gentle enough for every skin type, from the little ones to grandma and everyone in between, making it the go-to for everyone in the family. I scraped my knuckle the other day while doing laundry, and my first thought was to grab the Active Skin Repair because one, it doesn't sting like other products, and two, I knew it would help me heal faster. So if you're looking for a natural, effective way to handle boo-boos, check out Active Skin Repair. And because you're a listener, you can get 20% off your order. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code CLUTTERFREE. Again, that's ActiveSkinRepair.com and use code CLUTTERFREE to get 20% off your order. Yeah, so there, for me, like I said, I do shop at places that are available for trade. So I go to High Point and I meet all of these reps and manufacturers and I sit in all of the furniture and I get to hear the stories. Some of these sometimes do get sold on other websites also 
like Burke Decor will sell some of these items. Friends and Son will sell these. And then for a lower price point, you can find pretty decent things on Wayfair, for example, dining chairs. And as long as you read the reviews and reviews are good, then I'd say those are good resources. Obviously, there's West Elm and Crate and Barrel and CB2, which I do think they have a decent offering of products, especially I like West Elm for their, and Crate and Barrel for their seating. I like CB2 for some of their like marble tables or accent tables. Pottery Barn has some good seating and some good wood furniture. So I think that there's access to certain decent quality items out there. Um, and then there are these other more elevated items that are sometimes available on these other websites. And I think it, it comes with a price point. And I think working with a designer, that people can usually get best prices as well and access to some of these other items. But it is a luxury. I can't say everyone has it in their budget yeah. to work with a designer. So I'd say if you're on a tight budget, then look for reviews as much as possible. And, and whenever you can, go to see the things and sit in the things. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that tip is yeah. great. Because how many times have people purchased things and they're like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And, yeah. But I also like the idea of mixing and matching, like getting that, just like people do a lot with their clothing, right? Getting a couple like really nice designer pieces, like the big basics that are really going to stick with you throughout a very long time. And then getting the kind of more kitschy things maybe at the CB2s and, and barrels that can be maybe a little bit more of that splash of interest is that yeah absolutely i think the, the things like the sectional is something that i don't compromise on that has to be comfortable well built long lasting that can stay with you for many years and it's also the biggest item in your space so i think one mistake that people do is especially when they have families is they go for these darker sofas that are not very expensive or just some, because they think, oh, the kids will just tear them apart. And that's what, from day one, your space is weighed down by, the, by this ginormous black sofa that's just an eyesore. So in my opinion, I would just say get something that's maybe middle of the range or just more beautiful. Maybe cover it up with some throws if you're going to have a kid party. <laughs> But I don't think kids are quite that destructive. At least mine is not. He's quite careful. <laughs> and I've instilled it in him that, you know, these are nice things. I don't want you drawing on walls. I don't want you drawing on the sofa. I make a big deal of it if he if he does. And I show him how hard it is to clean up and that it's we just draw on paper. <laughs> so I think you can teach kids to respect and appreciate your furniture. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And as far as like okay. adding a few extra things, I absolutely agree with that. And the kitschy things, I personally love to shop at vintage stores, antique stores, even thrift stores. I mean, you're, I'm amazed at the things that I can find there. Maybe an accent table, maybe some decor item or some brass candles, uh, artwork for sure. You can find really nice artwork at um, vintage stores. So things like that are smaller accessories, I definitely love getting at either vintage or CB2 West Elm. I think they have nice items as well. I love that. Okay. So I'm going to get into some more designy kind of questions because okay. a place I struggle with is 
liking too many different styles, right? Like, so, and then we've moved around a lot too, right? So we've lived in downtown Chicago, where obviously our style was a little bit more city focused. And now we live in Southern California where it's like mid-century modern. Our home is a 1969 home. So it's got that lovely California seventies vibe going um, with the architecture of the house. So how do you start to meld, combine pieces, combined of design styles when you already have maybe some decent pieces that you're not looking to replace, but now I'm in a different kind of environment? Yeah, I think that, I mean, you definitely have to look at the architecture of your space and the things have to work with the architecture of the space. They can't be fighting with it. I obviously do encourage mixing styles. I'm not a proponent of one style. I don't uh, follow any of the styles, but I think knowing what the styles are and how they play together and blending a little bit of styles. And I think just trying to come up with a story for each space and how you want it to feel is the is quite important. And I, honestly, as a designer, I have the same problem. I love so many things <laughs> and so many different styles and types of things. And I sometimes feel like I'm walking a very fine line Hmm. when in blending all of these styles. So I'm not sure if you saw my project Adler on the Park. It was a show house where I got to design a suite. uh, Yeah, that had the sheep, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I do know that one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I in that space, I mean I was limited as to the, the kind of vendors that I could work with. I needed to find sponsors. I needed to find people that were willing to participate in the event and sponsor me. And I did, was not willing to spend $100,000 to furnish this office. And uh, so I ended up having modern desk, Chinese Art Deco sofa, a pastoral console table. It was a contemporary like fixture. And I felt like to the last second, I was so nervous about blending all of these styles together and how the space is going to feel and once everything came together it felt so good and so comfortable and there wasn't one person that walked in the space that didn't say oh wow I feel so good in here <laughs> and but I think the key there was to kind of keep it uh, keep it consistent so I kept everything very light and bright and then complementary wood tones that the items did have different wood colors but they were complementary so they were kind of in the same family and some were darker some were lighter but they flowed together it wasn't like I had yellow woods and red woods <laughs> and all the colors it was just arranged so it felt very cozy very lived in as if the space had been sort of created over time then items working later over time I had a lot of vintage items I had pagoda red items which are Chinese antique super special items that reflect the time and a place and how things were done then. I had this brassiere, which is this beautifully carved brass vessel, whether they used to put coals in back in the day in the 1800s, and women would take it with them and kind of heat their hands in the winter as they were away from their home. And just all kinds of different items. There was a elephant bell, a bronze elephant bell. <laughs> And everything worked together, but I think it's a matter of, it's, it comes down to just making sure the color palette is consistent. And it, especially if you're working with a small place, it's just maybe keeping most of the things bright and light and then 
just playing with accent pillows or throws or artwork to bring life into the space. You can absolutely blend styles. Um, I, I guess if I had to come up with like a rule of thumb, I would say 75% of the items have to play nice together. And then 25 could be oddballs and just things that make you wonder like, hmm, what is this and what is this? And this is quite different. <laughs> Oh, I um, love that. Yeah. That's a fun little hack right there. So 75% play well together. You generally tend to go toward light and bright. And then the 25% of just quirky, fun. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. That sounds fun. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so what's a way for people to get maybe a more elevated look to their space if they have, so I think it kind of probably just a little bit deeper dive on the answer you just gave to how do you start then figuring out what is your style? Do you suggest people just start like a Pinterest board so they can kind of find things that they like? Do you suggest getting magazines, like clipping things out? I mean, I just, I'm so jealous. Interior designers just seem to have like this super knack of just like making things come together. And I just wonder if someone like myself maybe just doesn't push it far enough, right? Like, do I stop too soon and make something feel safer? Like I'm, maybe I'm missing my 25% of things, but I don't feel like my house feels super cohesive. So how, where do we start to get that kind of cohesive? And then that elevated look where it just feels great when you walk in. Yeah. I think you're right on with the Pinterest board or getting wherever you get your inspiration house or magazines, like starting a vision board is key. And us as designers, we do that as well. I need that vision board for projects, one for myself, and two, to explain to the client, this is what the space will feel like. And then you have to look deeply into, okay, I really like this living room. What are the components of this? There's a, that I see some uh, primitive small table, and then I see a very contemporary sectional, and I see a very cool coffee table, or I see the light fixture really is impactful. Whatever it is, like look at the items that are making up the space that you're really drawn to and then try to kind of replicate it in your own style and like, I don't want you copying somebody else's design, but finding a way to, to discover your own style through inspiration. I think that's really the best way to do it. And then building that space from that and making sure like keep going back to your inspiration and saying, is this aligned with my inspiration? Is would I see this kind of piece in this design? <laughs> and if the answer is yes, then go forward. If the answer is no, is maybe keep looking for something else that makes sense for the design. Okay. How do but you I have think patience like to find the right piece? Because that's sometimes where I struggle too. I'm like, oh, I want something that's like this, but I can't find it, but I need something. How do you then have the patience to just hold out a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you do have to have the patience to find the right elements in the space. Um, the designers, that's why we do what we do because it's very time consuming. So yeah. it's hard to add that on to a day job and for people, I don't know how people do it. Yeah. A lot of times I feel like homes are just kind of whatever <laughs> put together. So we have a bed and a sofa and it's not, it doesn't feel like usually that's where I get brought in. It's people saying we have a good house. It was built five years ago. Everything's new, but it doesn't feel like us. It's very builder special. We want to personalize it so that our personalities are reflected, but we don't know how. 
or maybe it's an older home and things are really in need of being updated or maybe it's a new construction where just we're starting with a blank slate but it's a lot of time to dedicate to curating a space where you feel your best and where you're that can support your lifestyle yeah there's a few important things that that people can do in their space to elevate the look okay. uh, and i think it comes down to avoiding the big faux pas that i see <laughs> over and over in every home I go into. Number one is window treatments. And what I see people do is start their window treatments right above the window and end them right at the end of the window. What you wanna do is bring those window treatments all the way up as close to the ceiling as possible and take them all the way out to the side walls and plan for the fullness uh, when the curtain is full, pulled, so it's still wavy, and usually it's double the amount, double the distance that you have for the wall. That's how much material you need, how much width of material you need to have. It's double that distance. So window treatments are a big one. I think going all the way up and all the way out just gives us the feeling of spaciousness and more luxurious and bigger windows. It gives you the impression of bigger windows. So that's number one. Number two, rugs. I always see rugs that are too small for the place. And the rug, you have to think about it as your island. At least the front seats of the sofa or the chairs have to be on the rug, ideally more. But that's the island that you get to play on. So if the rug is small, the space will look small and feel tight and awkward. And then the other one that's a huge pet people of mine and a huge giveaway that's uh an amateur has maybe designed that place is ending wall finishes on outside corners. So I see this done a lot where people want an accent color, but then there's an opening, for example, or there's an outside edge and they just end that color on the outside edge. I think the key is to look at walls as volumes and continue that color or wall covering, whatever it is, that wall finish all the way around if you have an opening and you really don't want to bleed that color into the adjacent space, create a frame or a place for the wall covering or the paint to die into so it looks intentional. Hmm. So I think these are a few just key design elements that I personally follow that I'd say are some pro tricks <laughs> to making your space feel more elevated. And then really thinking about what the biggest elements in the space are and paying attention to those, getting some nice, like the dining table, the sectional and the rugs, they are the most impactful in the space. So pay attention to what you're putting in the space, make sure that those flow and they're nice quality, dining chairs, things like that. So, and lighting, lighting, oh, sorry, lighting is super important. And lighting this is, is another so one. hard. Lighting is definitely hard. But it's one of the most important items in every space because it really sets the mood and it sets how people feel. So having three light sources in every space, that's kind of a rule of thumb. So you'll have your chandelier and maybe some floor lamps and maybe some indirect lamp or another table lamp somewhere. Just a way to kind of dim everything down but have a twinkle of lights throughout. Color temperature is super important. I'd say as a rule of thumb, 2700 Kelvin is is the color for social spaces, for the warm light that makes you feel good and look good and have that intimate conversations that kind of like candlelight quality. 
But for task lighting, like kitchens and bathrooms and your desk, you want to have 3000 Kelvin. So that's the cleaner, whiter light, the brighter lights. So I, what I see a lot is I think people use those daylight kind of bulbs, which are like 4000 Kelvin. That's a, the higher the number, the whiter the light. So it goes into this interrogation room feeling <laughs> you're like oh my gosh I'm being studied I'm being analyzed I don't feel comfortable being myself saying anything it's too light too bright too blue <laughs> yeah so I think 2700 Calvin that's okay. that's the key to know for chandeliers accent lighting sconces things like that that where you want warm lighting 2700 super pro tip. Oh my gosh. See yes. who would have thought about the lighting, Kelvin? I am <laughs> very happy to have you say it. it was like, that's like super cool. All right. Yes. Awesome. Yes. What's your thought on rugs on carpet? No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Okay. Rugs on carpet? Yeah. So like I live in a oh, rental. Yeah. I can't yeah. change my flooring. Yeah. So absolutely. On... Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. That is definitely a do. I mean, it will bring the attention to your rug more than your carpet. It feels like a layered, elevated look. It's a absolute do. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's where I was going to go next was kind of more of a selfish ask because I'm in, yeah. so we're in a rental home. And so we can't, I know that's not your specialty. So thank you for indulging me here. If I can't change the big things, do I do things like cover them up? So maybe I cover the flooring with a rug throughout. Do you have any good resources for yeah. where we should find rugs? Because, oh my yeah. gosh, I can spend hours looking for rugs yeah. and that's very hard. What are some ways that yeah. we can kind of tackle those big things that if we don't have the opportunity to actually make any big differences? So number one is 
figuring out if you really don't have the opportunity to make okay. those big changes because you'll be surprised if you go to with a to the landlord with a proposal of you know, I have an eye for design and I have put together a design proposal for you. And this is what I propose that we should do. I'd like us to change the lighting. And these are the light fixtures that I've selected. I like you to change the carpet or change the cabinets. And I am willing to put in my time to source these items, to oversee installation, whatever it is. And I just need you to reimburse me for the expense of labor and the items themselves. I mean, you're doing a lot of legwork for the landlord, and this is going to be just improvement to their space. And when it gets turned over, it will go for obviously more money. So sell it to them as that kind of a asset improvement. If they're not willing to do any of these things, then absolutely there's things that you can do on your own. Um, even things like painting the wall. I mean, you can absolutely paint the wall. Sometimes they ask for you to paint it back. And then other times they'll, if they see it and they like it, they might be okay with you keeping it. That's happened to me in one of the rental places that we stayed in. We painted this wall, beautiful, like dark ruby red. And it kind of had like this Venetian feel to it. And the landlord said, nope, you have to paint everything back to what it was. And then when he actually saw it, he's like, oh, okay, I like it. Keep it. <laughs> and it was a talking point. Everyone that walked in was like, oh, I love your red wall. <laughs> and then there's now like peel and stick wall covering that you can mm. install and easily remove. So that you can, with that, you can really transform the look of the powder room or add an accent wall to your dining area or your bedroom. So that's, I think, a really good one. A really good way to make an impact. I think, yeah, lighting is a big one. So if you say the landlord's not on board with replacing the light fixtures, you can always get plug-in wall sconces that are still beautiful, floor lamps, table lamps that you can then bring with you to the next place. Uh, obviously, rugs and nice furniture you can bring with you, but things like rugs, that's a very specific item to a specific room size. I would assume I wouldn't spend a lot of money on rugs. I would go for, I would add rugs, <laughs> but I would assume that I will need to sell it or maybe not be able to use it in a future place. Um, so I, I just wouldn't go for the most, the nicest, most expensive kind of rug. Section, you can go with modular, a modular sectional. So then you can add to it if you move to a larger place later on, or you can reconfigure it. That's what we did. Previously, we were in a rental and we bought a sectional that we had arranged in a different way. And when we moved to our larger home, we were able to rearrange it and we actually didn't need to add to it yet. Let's see what else you can do. Definitely artwork. That's a big one. Large artwork can make such a big impact. And you don't, I mean, yes, I appreciate artwork and I love artwork and I've spent a lot of money on artwork. And in some cases, I've made my own. So we had the humongous painting that my husband had of a, just a watermelon <laughs> slice. <laughs> and I found this beautiful wall covering that looks like uh, it's painted on uh, from Knoll. And we just, I ordered a, a big piece of that wall covering. I wrapped it, we stapled it, and it just looks like a beautiful watercolor. Everyone thinks it's a painting. <laughs> so That's you can tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Or even framing, like finding a wall covering that you really love and then just popping that into a frame. Uh, having a gallery wall, 
finding a few people, they don't have to be expensive, but they have, you can definitely find cool prints, even on Amazon. They have very nice, interesting pieces. Uh, World Market, you can find interesting art at. So yeah, I think you, you can really dress up the walls on your own. And these are things that you can bring with you. And you can invest in, in ex more expensive original artworks. You'll be able to reuse it. But like I said, vintage stores. Vintage stores have amazing... I There's one called Mercantile M here mm. in Chicago where I find incredible pieces at Brown Elephant. I'm not sure if they're in California mm. as well. I'll have to check. Yeah. Brown Elephant is a thrift store and there's a lot of junk, but there's <laughs> sometimes you find some beautiful art or I picked up some amazing brass candle holders there. So yeah, you never know. It's always good to check and see what's the latest. Yeah, the, there's fine decor in Chicago that's really good. Warehouse 55, some some really, we have some amazing resources here. I feel like we're spoiled. Yeah, you're um, making me like, jealous. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they are there as well. I'm just I'm not sure. familiar with yeah. what they are. Well, I just thank you so much for all of the information you've been sharing today. It's been just really cool to kind of pick your brain. And I just appreciate yeah. you letting me kind of do that. And I know that this isn't normally uh, what you do, but tell people where they can find you so they can look at the, I'll definitely make sure I have links to the project that you have so that people can see the visual of what you have and just tell them where they can find you so they can come see Great. you. Yes. Yeah, so my website is adinahall.com and my Instagram is instagram.com slash adinahall. <laughs> adinahall design, sorry. And then on Facebook, it's adinahall design LC. So yes, please follow me. Yeah, and buy if you're in, Say hello. If you're in Chicago or the Chicago area and you are looking to hire an interior designer, I would highly recommend Adina. Her places are gorgeous. So thank um, you that's so been, much. Oh and, my gosh. And on my, on my Instagram, I, whenever I post pictures of some of my projects, which I try to do regularly, I don't just post pictures. I always post design tips and pro tips and all the things. So there's always an opportunity to learn something and not just a pretty big, hey, here's learning room my design. It's, uh, it goes a little bit deeper. So there's definitely valuable takeaways for anyone that uh, wants to join me for this ride. I love it. I love it. And congratulations on going out on your own. I'm so proud of you. That's just amazing. And I just cannot wait to see where your journey takes you. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm along for the ride. I love it. So <laughs> I just, I think it's fabulous when people can just find their passion and then have a way to follow it. Like, I just love that too. So yeah. congratulations to you and I wish you Thank all you. the best. Yeah. Congratulations to you as well. I think thank what you're you. doing is amazing. And I'm on board with the new name, by the way. Oh, thank <laughs> Wanna you. Want to be clutter free? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think there's that's so much valuable information uh, in your podcast. So super excited. I've been working my way through them and just loving everything that I'm learning. I listened to the one about how to introduce vegetables and get kids to mm. enjoy <laughs> meal times. And yeah. I can't wait. I'm implementing tonight. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Good. Well, I can't wait to hear how that goes too. Thank you again, Adina. And you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Have a great day yourself. What'd you think? I loved getting the inside scoop on how a designer puts together a cohesive look in a space. It's all about finding that common thread and then using that throughout. But now it is your turn. I would love to hear your thoughts on the episode. What were your favorite parts? Did you have any big takeaways? Come on over to the Wannabe Minimalist Family Group on Facebook and share it. 
And thanks again to Adina for joining us on the show today and for sharing her process. Remember to check out her work for some inspiration. Head on over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 149. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 149 to find out more about Adina. And as always, thank you for joining me too. If you made it this far, just a reminder that I would be thrilled if you left me a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute and so I really wanna thank you for helping me out. And with that, I hope you have a fantastic day. I will see you back here next week for a solo show. I'm going to be talking about setting boundaries and expectations within our day to help relieve us of our mental load and to make us happier. I'm Deanna Yates, and you've been listening to Wannabe Minimalist. I'll see you next week. Cheers. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.